0: Hey, everybody. How's it going? Steve Castlenoble here, the big Stevie C, the host of the Heel and Face podcast, a podcast dedicated to the world of professional wrestling. So glad you guys could listen in today. We actually have a fun show today because we can talk about wrestling. Yeah, that's right. We can talk about wrestling. I understand that things being as they are and the speak out movement has taken over the conversation of the world of professional wrestling, including on the independent circuit. And it's definitely a topic that has lingering effects and we definitely need to keep it at the forefront of the conversation, but at least we don't have to dedicate the whole entire podcast to talking about it this week. I know things got a little morose And frustrating and disappointing and disheartening last week. But hopefully we can keep it light. We can just talk about it briefly in the news and then we can actually talk about what happened in the WWE this week. So I'm really excited about that. So let's get to it. But before we get to it, however, we are also on the Heel Turn Wrestling Network on Facebook. So if you're interested, you can take a look at my podcast page. The Heel and Face podcast. You go to Facebook and then just type all one word Heel and Face podcast. Or you can go to Heel Turn Wrestling and find me there at HT Wrestling 316. HT Wrestling 316. You can find us on Facebook and in social media. That is Heel Turn Wrestling at HT Wrestling 316. You can find all the shows that are really fun and engaging to listen to. Not only mine, the Heel and Face podcast, but you can also listen to Headlocks and Hangovers. You can listen and watch The Scroll. And you can also check out Billy Alexander and The Franchise Takes Five. You can find us all over social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube, wherever you can find us. So, again, you can look for Heel Turn Wrestling at HD Wrestling 316 on all the social medias, or you can find me at the podcast at Heel and Face Podcast on Facebook. So That's for uh, those of you who like to figure out what I'm doing live with all the pictures and the videos and the things and the whatnot. So anyway, if you're only able to listen to the podcast and you're here, well, welcome going to have a good time. So let's talk about the news of the day. Get that out of the way first. Like I said, the continuing saga of the speaking out movement in independent wrestling has plagued wrestlers left and right. We've noticed different things that are happening around the world of professional wrestling. Certain wrestlers are getting let go from their contracts or fired certain wrestlers are coming to terms with their accusers, which they have every right to do. And let's not get it twisted. Again, in this country, you are innocent until proven guilty. And I understand that very many people in this country have hard feelings about what was going on. And we're in a point, unfortunately in society today where we're willing to jump on the accuser side, no matter what happens, no matter what the cost, and although I'm not condoning anything that happened to the accusers, nor am I am in any way trying to say that they don't have a life to stand on, I am saying that we will give people the benefit of the doubt. Even Jim Cornette, who last week was accused of trading sexual favors for his wife, Stacy, for pushes in OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling when he was owner and head writer at the time, and also liaison between Ohio Valley Wrestling and WWE. At that time, as you may know, the WWE was using Ohio Valley Wrestling as kind of its default training facility, and Jim Cornette was head of it. Well, there was a wrestler who has not, been named, but he's come forward and said that he and other prominent pro wrestlers at the time who were in Ohio Valley Wrestling to train before they came up to the WWE were also involved in the scandal and he was an eyewitness to it. Now, since this story broke last week, this man has gotten off twitter he's not recanted what he said but he's basically gone on radio silence he's gone dark he's off the grid and no one can really get a hold of him and as far as anybody knows so i think someone said that he is now living in montana or idaho somewhere out west in one of the mountain states but jim Cornette's response on his podcast was less than stellar it's exactly what you would have thought coming from jim Cornette, and that's unfortunate because i understand you know he's been jim Cornette for years you know it's corny being corny right and i know that there's irony in that statement but it seems like to me he should have taken a moment or two just to say hey these are the allegations against me This is the reality of the situation. This is what happened. And I'm not going to say anything further unless it's through my lawyer. Well, of course, Jim Cornette didn't do that. He immediately got on and he met with, obviously did his podcast with Brian Last. And it was a special edition of the Cornette experience where it was just an hour of him basically Not only denying the accusations, but he, again, was very flippant about the accusations. Jim Cornette laid out a timeline that exonerated him, at least in his mind, it exonerated him. He claims that during the time he was not associated with Ohio Valley Wrestling was the time that this gentleman was training to be a pro wrestler. So... Between the early 2000s and 2007 or 2008, Jim Cornette claims that he had divested his interest from Ohio Valley Wrestling. And he was also still working with Ring of Honor at the time, too, as a consultant. So there was no way that he was in charge of anything going on in Ohio Valley Wrestling at the time that this unknown former trainee claims Jim Cornette was using his power to get what he wanted. So it is an interesting timeline. It does kind of make sense. There's a kind of a gray area. We know that any big stars that were there, like Brock Lesnar, John Cena, Randy Orton, Shelton Benjamin, who would be affected by that, were probably gone up to the WWE at that time. So... The story seems like it checks out. Of course, again, Jim Cornette is granted the notion of being innocent before proven guilty. So only time will tell. Again, my issue isn't so much that he is innocent until proven guilty. It was the way he went about making a statement, which is Total Cornette. I know I've talked to people on Facebook and they basically agree, you know, it's just Jim Cornette being Jim, but I think at some point in your life, you need to take something seriously enough to just step outside yourself, eat a little crow, figure out what happened, and then move on from there. If Jim Cornette would have just made a simple statement, and not even on Twitter, just, you know, maybe not, he says he doesn't check his Facebook page, maybe not on Facebook, but if he'd have just made a statement and somehow through a press agent or something like that said, these are the allegations. They're not true. Here's why. And I'm not going to direct any more comments about this to myself. I'm going to redirect them to my lawyer instead. And then I would have even been fine with that. And I would have let it go. But, you know, it's time to be treating things like this very seriously. And it's time to have a very serious take on them. Speaking of having a serious take on it, Ironically enough, one of the guys that Jim Cornette has traditionally hammered on for being a waste of space and ruining the business, Joey Ryan, has also been caught up in the scandal. And he himself has issued a statement slash apology through his social media account. I think it was on Instagram, and then he reposted it on his Twitter he said in the statement that he had definitely made some mistakes and he definitely got caught up in quote, living a rock star lifestyle end quote. So I don't know if this completely exonerates Joey Ryan or not. I do know that there was widespread criticism of Joey Ryan in the first place, and I know that there was a lot of people who were coming in saying that, you know, Joy Ryan's over the top, that he's taking this whole thing too far. And, of course, there was criticism, but there was also his defenders, too. And there's another wrestler named Alexander Hamilton. He works for, uh, in MLW, and he's a beast, and he's awesome. And he had a great tweet. He said, basically, my students come up to me and they ask me, how could people have let Joey Ryan go so long doing this. And as a matter of fact, why didn't his supporters who are now throwing him under the bus, why didn't they warn him about this or talk to him about this at first? And basically, Hammerstone came back with saying, there are too many people who are, again, allowing certain things to happen. And he basically said, if wrestlers just stuck to wrestling, they wouldn't have to make crazy gimmicks or put themselves out there over the top or put themselves in a bad situation. So ironically enough, Jim Cornette's critique of Joey Ryan, as well as this one from Hammerstone is on point. And now the chickens are kind of coming home to roost. So Joey Ryan's defenders, have always come out saying that you just don't understand modern pro wrestling and this is where pro wrestling is going and it's all about being inclusive and it's all about performing and it's not about necessarily putting in the work or doing the wrestling part of it. Uh, it's all performance art and blah blah blah. Yet Joey Ryan is the perfect example of a quote unquote woke wrestler who still getting away with all of this craziness and the old school people and old school wrestlers, especially Jim Cornette would say that this wouldn't necessarily happen in the back because there would be guys who just simply would act this way. And ironically enough, the old school wrestling that was always criticized as being too carny by this new generation of wrestler is now turning on Joey Ryan for being a complete and utter fool. So it's interesting how this thing is shaping out. It seems like some of the old heads in the world of professional wrestling are actually right about this. Uh, I don't wish death on Joey Ryan. I know a lot of people make mistakes. He wasn't never really my favorite wrestler to begin with. I really never got the sleazebag gimmick, uh, but... I hope he can recover just like some of these other wrestlers that I hope they can recover from this. So speaking of recovering, let's go back to uh, NXT, not recovering from a misstep in her career, but recovering from an injury. WWE.com reported that Charlotte will be out indefinitely. So Charlotte Flair is out And if you want to keep it in kayfabe, uh, what happened was that she was attacked from behind. Last week on Raw, Nia Jax. Nia Jax smashed her up against the guardrail with a road box. And now Charlotte has a broken clavicle. But if you want to keep it real, there were reports that she was going to take a break anyway. So it's not that big of a deal. It's a nice idea and it's a well-deserved break. And this is kind of what the WWE does with talent is that they push them real hard. One of the things anyway, one of two things is they push them real hard. Go, go, go. They give them like the Roman Reigns treatment, the overexposure, which is what Charlotte's been getting. And people have been criticizing her about getting very close to that Roman Reigns level of just go away, go away, heat. And then something happens and they're out. And I think that's actually a good way to do it with some people, which lends me to come up with another question that I'm going to pose. And I'm going to put this up on my Facebook page. If you guys are interested, and you can comment there. I'd love to hear you comment there. But this kind of sounds like this is the beginning, possibly, of having seasons in the WWE. I mean, maybe not production-wise, but wrestling-wise, just for the wrestlers. So Charlotte's out. She's out for a couple of weeks, I and mean, then she could come back definitely right before SummerSlam. And it's a well-deserved break. And I know Xavier Woods and... Kofi Kingston and other wrestlers have floated this idea around. And I don't know why Vince is too afraid of this notion, but I think it's a good idea to write wrestlers in and out of the stories. It keeps them fresh. It keeps them employed. It keeps them motivated. It gives them time off to heal up or to freshen up the character or or whatever. And I think it would be really interesting to mix in and intermix certain wrestlers. It's almost like these soap operas, these daily soap operas, you know, you get a character on there for a couple of months or a year or two, and then then their story becomes the main story, and then that story, after that's done, told, gets pulled back and forth, and then this actress goes and does a movie and comes back, and they write her back into the show. So it's not uncommon to have something like that happen, and I... For it. I think that we should start looking, or at least WWE should seriously consider putting seasons together for their wrestlers and then just having a program or having having a having a wrestler be there for maybe one or two or three seasons and then give them a season off and then come back fresh and intermix with other wrestlers. That's how you do it. And it would even harken back to some of the old territory days where you would have a wrestler for a couple of months or a couple of weeks or to work a big program or Ric Flair would come in and bring the NWA World Heavyweight Championship into, I don't know, Alabama to face the local guy for a week, that kind of deal. So I think that this should be something that WWE should be considered is uh, writing their wrestlers in to seasons or at least giving them time off, giving them rotating time off And they can schedule it. There's plenty of people in the back that they have that they can interweave into the stories and not feel left out. They don't have to necessarily be fighting the same people all the time. Or if you're done telling one story, you can move some people in and move some people around. They've got enough people to do that. They've got enough people training. They've got enough people who aren't getting on TV. They've got enough young people that they can pull it off. So... That's something WWE should investigate, in my opinion. And I'll put that on the Facebook page and see what you guys think of it. I guess that's all the news that we need to talk about. And instead, let's just go ahead and start talking about our impressions of Raw. I am extremely pleased because Raw was pretty good. It wasn't over the top. It wasn't, oh my gosh, super amazing. was pretty good and it was entertaining but the one thing that struck me about this and NXT that I'll talk about a little later is that it was as if everybody remembered how to wrestle so the night started off with Drew McIntyre coming out and cutting a promo as, as he does but the twist was because of the trade of AJ Styles from Raw to SmackDown we got to see Dolph Ziggler and Dolph Ziggler comes in and he starts jawing back with the current champion about how we were good and I made you so you're going to owe me and Drew being adamant about being his own man, Drew McIntyre did suggest they might have a match at Extreme Rules. So we'll have to see. Nia Jax comes in, then stages a protest. Our truth comes in, does his R-Truth things, but then Charlotte Flair comes in to interrupt. Things get physical. In the physicality, that tuned up Charlotte for her match that she would have later for the Raw Women's title against Asuka. So... Next, we had the Street Profits versus the Viking Raiders. And this was the culmination of the Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Better challenge, which was a lot of fun. It was physical, but it was a little underwhelming as far as the blow-off to an angle. And I'd like to have seen more psychology in the match. But also, I would have liked to have seen the Viking Raiders have won the belts. I'm not going to lie. Because I think that would have been an interesting way to end the storyline with, yeah, we finally got you. But in the end, it wasn't to be. And the Street Profits retained after the match. Both teams, in a show of solidarity and good sportsmanship, gave each other hugs. That was really nice to see. But that victory was short-lived as Zelina Vega brought her two clients, Ambrade, and Angel Garza, in to jump Street Profits. Viking Raiders came in and they protected their friends. They got their friends back. But it seems like now the program is moving toward Andrade and Angel Garza to become the tag team or at least challenge or at least chase the champs. I think that Street Profits versus Viking Raiders, despite their clashing in styles, had great chemistry and it was a lot of fun. I think that we're trying to now big man and little man together and the Viking Raiders it was kind of the powerhouses were Ivar and Dawkins and then the more athletic believe it or not were uh, Eric and Montez Ford so we'll see like how, it, how they come back to that later but now with Garza and with Andrade being in the mix it seems like they're going to continue with that dynamic of the power guys. If you want to call Andrade the power guy, the, the big man of the two. So it's Andrade and Dawkins are the big ones. And then uh, the more athletic ones, Garza and Ford are going to go at it. So I'd like to see that. It's going to be a really fun, more athletic contest between those four guys. And with Zelina Vega is another, another dynamic that's going to be Definitely a part of it. And who knows, maybe this is where uh, we'll see the return of Bianca Belair. So that'll be a lot of fun, I think, to watch. We go then to the title match for the Raw Women's Championship between Asuka and Charlotte Flair. Interestingly enough, this was an extended squash. You already know that Charlotte got her arm tuned up a little bit by Nia Jax in the beginning. But then, you get in the ring with Asuka, who just basically tore her arm apart. And it wasn't a long match, but it was long enough where Charlotte didn't look weak, but at the same time, too, she had to give it up because of an injury. Charlie Caruso interviewing Charlotte as she was walking to the trainers, get her arm looked at. No soon as Charlotte stopped to talk, Nia Jax comes from behind, smashes her, and takes a road crate and smashes her arm up against the barricade with the road crank, which gives her the possible broken clavicle, and now Charlotte will be out. So, we're getting closer to Asuka versus Nia Jax for the women's belt. Here's where everybody remembered how to wrestle again. So, the promo that edge cut on Randy Orton when he was alone in the ring at the performance center. He's going to rehab his arm and all that. It was just so ice cold. It was so chilling that when Edge said Rated our Superstar was coming back I got chills and I haven't gotten chills like that for a wrestler's promo in a long time so it proves that the old guys still know how to do it but it also proves that you can actually get back to wrestling and if you got back to wrestling it makes it a good product so I was really super geeked about Edge's promo it was on point it gave me chills when he said that he had to dig down deep somewhere he thought was dormant to bring the rated R superstar back. I was just like, Whoa, look out. And then uh, Randy Orton's response to that was kind of basically called out their families and and said that if as you Christian know, what's good for their families, they'll retire. Basically they'll stay a long, long way from me. So there's the callback to going after both families. Interestingly enough, we move to the fun part, I guess more of the comedy parts that were actually done pretty well. Our truth has been interwoven into tonight's Raw, and he actually had a match. The 24-7 stipulation was suspended for a little bit while he fought Akira Tozawa. So Akira Tozawa with all of the new ninjas in tow, plenty of ninjas, there's lots of ninjas running around. They should uh, really check everybody's cards. At the Performance Center. You know, it should redo the whole ID badge situation. Because there's way too many ninjas running around. Akira Tozawa tells them, stay back, I got this. And fought our truth And it was a pretty fun match. And in the end, Akira Tozawa won. Which, I'm for it if Tozawa's for it. And I understand that they must really like Tozawa if they're keeping him around this much. I mean, what's not to like about him? He's got charm, charisma. He's can work. He can go. There's nothing wrong with his ability. I think that they don't have anything to do with him because they don't want to insert him back into the 205 Live or back into the Cruiserweight picture. That would kind of be a step back. And they've kind of burnt that bridge right now besides he's like a two-time champ of that so there's really no need for him to go after it another time but they like him enough and I think spreading him around enough spreading all this talent around enough as much as they can helps everybody so it's a lot of fun and, and you know it was a it was a match and who knows there hasn't been any word if the 24-7 rule has been reinstated now that Tazawa is champ but I'm sure we'll find some pretty hilarious situations coming up all around the WWE with Tozawa with the belt. They like him, so they keep him around. They got him something to do. I'm good with that. Speaking of people who needed something to do, this is getting really old. This is another trope that WWE kind of writes themselves into, which is everybody hates me. Everybody hates me. Hey, let's be friends. Which is what's happening with... Lana and Natalia right now, and this was kind of an extended squash. I know that they called back to the terrible angle of the Liv Morgan versus Lana deal that was completely destroyed by everybody, and rightfully so. And Natalia just is the lovable loser. She just can't get away from herself. I don't know if this is a gimmick or not, but, you know, with her losing streaks and her everybody-turns-on-me attitude and I don't have any friends and I'm just an old holdover from a bygone era, blah, blah, blah. To team up with Lana and give Lana something to do, meanwhile, against Liv Morgan, who's not really lighting the world on fire either and has been clashing with Ruby Riot lately, we'll see what happens with this, but they might as well form a faction. You guys will get together. Anyway, it was kind of an extended squash, and Natalia wins, so no one cares. It's it's just filler. And then uh, now this is interesting, and this was this was fun. This is going to be fun. So this is the next segment, which is the coronation of Randy Orton being the greatest wrestler of all time by Ric Flair. And then we get into, we talk about it and blah, blah. All of a sudden, the big show's music hits. The big show is in town, ladies and gentlemen, and he's ready to fight. He just had a really good uh, promo with Charlie in the back where, you know, he's a fun-loving, gentle guy. But if you flip the switch, uh, he can turn into a big, angry, mean giant. And the show comes in to confront Orton. says, hey, you really messed up my best friends. And you better watch your back. And it was really, it was a really good segment from the Big Show. Again, recycling wrestlers in when they get old and stale, letting them do their thing, and then come back is always a good idea. And I think they need to start really capitalizing on this. So even though we've seen Big Show versus Orton millions of times, at least it's fresh now because Big Show has good motivation. He has a new motivation, and it's just a jerk, and he's just going to be a jerk. So the segment was great, everything worked out, and then basically warning the Big Show that whatever happens to him from now on is his, his own fault. So I dig it. I dig it. As long as Big Show can still go, and he looks good, hey, I don't care. This brings us to the tag team match for the women's belts. The iconics versus the golden role models Sasha Bailey Sasha and Bailey. This match was super fun and Billy Kay is one of the best heels out there. She's so on point with everything she does. I love it. Absolutely love it. Her selling is what gets her over. Just her attitude just who she is. She sells the way Lex Luger should have sold. For those of you who are old school wrestling fans Luger had a reputation of overselling, making wrestling look kind of hokey and silly, like over the top kind of gaga stuff in the ring. Like if you thumbed him in the eye, he'd basically double over and puke in the corner as if you scratched his brain. What Billy Kay does is she slightly goes over the top, but not enough to where it looks silly. But just enough to where her personality comes through, the way she falls, the way she sells, and the way her her mannerisms in the ring. She's a million, trillion bucks, and the iconics are awesome. It's a shame they're kind of getting muddled together when they're the only legit tag team in uh, pro wrestling, uh, or at least in the women's division right now anyway. And again, the fact that they don't have a women's Raw, a women's SmackDown, and a women's tag belt is kind of beyond me, but you know... I'm just a podcaster podcasting here in my little basement. What do I know about what should happen to the future of pro wrestling? Anyway, we still had a really good match. It was super entertaining. It was super athletic. It was a lot of fun. And it ended up, however, the golden role models uh, got the win. But not to be undone, Sasha gets on the microphone with Bailey Dose straps. And, of course, they've been teasing this, and the face commentators always allude to a little bit of friction between Sasha and Bailey. And, of course, the the heel commentators are always poo-pooing and always shoving it to the side. But I think it's really funny because they kind of lead into it a little bit with Sasha saying that she can't help but be jealous of Bailey when she sees her with two belts and... Sasha only has one. And then the big swerve, of course, when Sasha says that she's going after the Raw Women's Championship. And then Bailey has a good laugh, and they all laugh and smile, and it's pretty funny. Which got the dander of Asuka up, and she immediately came to the ring to confront Banks. Here's an interesting segment. You saw Apollo Crews come in to join the VIP lounge. And... VIP is still fishing for talent. He's trying to sign people other than Bobby Lashley. He's kind of saying that Apollo Crews is like a young Bobby Lashley, that he's got a rocket strapped to his back, blah, 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 blah. Um, But Apollo Crews wants to be his own man, so that doesn't jive well, which led to Sheldon Benjamin attacking Apollo Crews from behind and Shelton Benjamin has that relationship with MVP, their friends. So, of course, Shelton's going to stick up for him. And it was a pretty good match, despite. It was basically looking like an old Shelton versus a young Shelton and Apollo Crews. It was pretty athletic. I feel badly for Shelton Benjamin at this point of his career. He's just putting over the young guys, which is what happens. Crews eventually got him with a sit-out powerbomb. And at the end of the match, of course... MVP couldn't stand it, so sends Bobby Lashley out to sneak Apollo Cruz from behind and put him in the full Nelson lock. So now we're probably going to see Cruz versus Bobby Lashley for the U.S. belt, and I'm not a huge fan of that, because where you go with that? So if you're Apollo Cruz, of course your trajectory is up. You're going straight to the top, and you're making the belt, and the belt's making you, so that's okay. But as far as Bobby Lashley goes, if he does win, does he need the U.S. belt? Is this where Bobby Lashley's going? You know, the whole reason why Bobby Lashley even agreed to come back to the WWE is because he claims that he wanted one match with Brock Lesnar, and that was basically what he was going for, and hopefully for the belt. Well, you know, that's kind of not happening, and Lashley's been mired in silliness since he's been back, and I don't think the WWE seriously see him as a world champion. So, that opportunity is slipping him by. I don't think giving him the U.S. belt is going to do anything for him, necessarily. Taking it from Cruz might actually damage him. So, I don't know if they're going to continue or if they're going to even fight each other for the belts. Eventually, they might. It just seems really silly if they did. So, Apollo Cruz doesn't need to lose it. And Bobby Lashley doesn't need to win it. The final part of... This week's episode of Raw, which I was really geeked for, was the confrontation. Rey Mysterio comes out, and he's with Dominic. And they talked about how proud he was of Dominic for growing up and standing up for the family. But he's going to finish things with Rollins. Dominic said he's not going anywhere. He's got his dad's back regardless. Out comes the Monday Night Messiah to, again, try to convince uh, Ray and Dominic for the sake of the family to stop this. And as soon as he did that, of course, his two disciples, his two acolytes, Austin Theory and Murphy, come out and join him at ringside to put the Mysterios in a precarious situation. A three on two. Or so they thought. From the back comes running, Berto Carrillo and Aleister Black, who commenced to attacking both acolytes of the Messiah very viciously to put them out of commission enough to be able to put their hands on the Messiah and threaten him. So, and I think, I think this is really interesting. You're going to have so much to build off of this storyline. I know WWE doesn't do things long-term anymore. I know that most of these writers are conditioned to write week-to-week, story-to-story, and there's no longer any long-term plans for any talent. And that's mostly because of Vince McMahon's whim. But if I were booking, if I were Vince McMahon, I would stretch this out to at least Royal Rumble slash WrestleMania. You've got so many combinations and permutations of what you could do. You could have Austin Theory fighting Aleister Black, Austin Theory fighting Carrillo. You could have Murphy fighting Carrillo. You could have Murphy fighting Black. You could have any kind of combination. You could ultimately build to maybe at Survivor Series, the Messiah and his disciples versus the Team Mysterio. So you could have Seth Rollins, Murphy, and Austin Theory. Versus Dom and Ray, Aleister Black and Carrillo, and you could throw anybody. Throw anybody on the Messiah team. Throw anybody, make it an even four on four, or make it a five on five and bring uh, a tag team in. I don't know what you do, but make it exciting, make it fun. Heck, bring the AOP back, and then get somebody, get maybe Braun Strowman or Drew McIntyre to. To be on Team Mysterio, that would be a lot of fun. So there's multiple ways that you could book that. And you could ultimately make this story end with Dominic defeating the Monday Night Messiah on a big show. Could you imagine WrestleMania, the third main event or the fourth main event, which would be Seth Rollins versus Dominic Mysterio one-on-one? And I know this is kind of corny, but I'm going to end this section On Raw with this. What if there was a segment to where Dominic was in the back with Ray and Ray pulls out a mask, a Ray Mysterio mask, and says, You've earned this. This is for you, son, and gives Dominic Mysterio the mask of his uncle, the mask that he wore, and now Dominic then becomes. Rey Mysterio the Third. I know what you're saying. We know what Dominic Nooks looks like. Stupid idea, put it on. I think actually be kind of a cool idea. I think people would be with it. I think because of the mask means so much. The mask is a symbol of pride. I think that giving Dominic a mask and then christening him Rey Mysterio the Third would do wonders for his career, wonders for the angle. It would, everybody would pop like crazy, and I think it would work. So as far as uh, NXT goes, um, again, people remember how to wrestle and remember what wrestling was. So I was uh, really pleased to see that. The first thing we saw was we saw Cameron Grimes versus Damian Priest David Priest is coming off of his rib injuries that he sustained at the hands of uh, Finn Balor, and then Cameron Grimes, the opportunist, to come in and take uh, things by the reins. The match was okay. It was it was pretty physical. It was it was pretty good. They, they both know who they are and what they can contribute to the product, so I don't have a problem with that at all. Uh, I guess they're going to try Priest as a tweener. Uh, And see how that goes from there. So um, uh, Cameron Grimes got uh, got the victory. But I don't know, at the expense of uh, his ribs. And so they're going to sell that they're going to say he really doesn't didn't get a real clean victory. So we'll see if that develops into something. And again, Damien Priest is going to be like Big Daddy cool. And kind of be an in-between guy. I'm all for that. We had a non-title match with Santos Escobar, the former Ejio de Fantasma, going against Jake Atlas in a non-title match. This was a challenge match. It's kind of like a mentor challenge match from the week before where they laid out Drake Maverick. And Jake promised that he would get revenge for his mentor slash friend. And it was an okay match. It was all right. You know, they're obviously uh, building Jake Atlas up to be something. And, you know, Escobar is a star and he's going to take over. And I think it's really funny that all of these – the the knock on Vince in the past not getting Hispanic wrestlers or Latino wrestlers was that they couldn't speak English and they couldn't translate well. And now practically every wrestler that they've hired – is better English than most of the wrestlers in the back. So I find that uh, pretty hilarious. And then we have uh, the match. The match, you know, it's kind of, it it doesn't blow me away. It's kind of a paint-by-numbers deal. But in the end, uh, Escobar gets the win. I like Jake Atlas. I feel like he's not as sharp as he could be as a performer, which is weird because... He was a competitive gymnast and cheerleader for a long time, so I would think that maybe his moves would be a lot sharper and a lot crisper. But I think maybe that'll come, you know, if he keeps working at it and you know tightens some things up, doesn't make things kind of loosey goosey. You know, maybe he'll uh, he'll he'll just elevate his game higher. But I like him more or less, and uh, his rainbow uh, DDT from the top rope is death. So. Speaking of big daddy cool, Diesel, Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez went against literally two of the smallest wrestlers in NXT, with the exception of Candice LeRae, who's now a heel, so she doesn't count. So is Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro. I'm a fan of Caden Carter. I like her. I like what she brings to the table. I'm still kind of on the fence about Casey Catanzaro. I hope they see or she can prove what I guess they see in her soon because... To me, they're just ragdolling her around. And speaking of, like I said, Big Daddy Cool, I said last week that Raquel Gonzalez should be calling up Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and the big show and all the really good big men who used to work and pick their brains. And apparently um, part of that is rubbing off. So maybe they're listening to the podcast, and I hope they are. Raquel Gonzalez has named herself Big Mommy Cool. And I think that's pretty awesome and I might buy a t-shirt of that so the two of them fought Carter and Catanzaro this was a pretty physical match there wasn't a lot of uh, there was athleticism from the uh, from the two baby faces but uh, there were some moves here that were pretty awesome uh, Gonzalez had some pretty good big woman moves at some point she had Catanzaro up. And like a power bomb, and then still had enough strength to give the big boot to the face of Caden Carter. So that worked. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And after that, Dakota Kai made the belt motion and said that she's next for Yoshirai. She's coming after her. And uh, Big Mommy Cool said, that's right. Disappointing match next. And not that I'm really disappointed in the match itself because that was a pretty, pretty good match. For what it was, it was pretty awesome uh, seeing uh, a big sick boy get up in the air and do what he do. That was pretty awesome. But uh, the next match was uh, Karrion Cross, who's the new big monster heel in NXT, and they're pushing him to the moon versus Bronson Reed. And as you would know, Karrion Cross defeated Bronson Reed with the uh, rear naked choke. I was really happy with the action of this, just, this, again, to see Bronson Reed take up the challenge and then go around – and uh, throw his weight around. Literally, it was a lot of fun. Huge suplexes for both guys. Cross hit a Saito suplex and a Fisherman suplex on Reed. It was just, it was a pretty hard hitting and a lot of fun match. And if it were on its own, that match would have been really good. But seeing as though it's the context of NXT now, and they're putting crossover anyway, I just feel bad that Bronson Reed didn't get the win, but was what it was now i'm going to come back to something i said earlier on the podcast the part one of the podcast about when wwe they either burn you out and let you go for a while or you're red hot but they put you in a corner and you have nothing to do so they kind of give you this comedy thing and they try to convince you in their sideways logic that oh well you need a little bit more personality if people got to know you a little bit in a different side of you maybe be happy. And besides you you're new to this. You're young. You'll be around forever. And this is what they they're doing to Rhea Ripley now apparently. So there was a segment where Rhea Ripley was backstage and a disheveled, half-drunk uh, Robert Stone was pleading with Rhea Ripley to uh, come back to the Robert Stone brand or come to the Robert Stone brand. Of course, she rejected him by dumping him in the garbage. And then Aaliyah said, you can't dump my manager in the garbage. And then she smacks him, which led to the match, which was, a, which is an okay match as far as, you know, it was a comedy match. Take it for what you you will. And now this is going to lead to a two-on-one, like a handicap match with Aaliyah and Robert Stone versus Rhea Ripley. So uh, hopefully Rhea can survive the comedy, <laughs> and 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 Rise Above, she's got a huge career ahead of her. Again, she's only what 23, 24 years old, and uh WWE's very high on her. So hopefully this silliness will just pass. And and I'm curious as to how this would have gotten booked 20, 30 years ago. If this was something that was commonplace, that if you had a wrestler who was over but didn't really have anything for them to do, if you would just include them in these kinds of matches. So uh, I'm sure there are. Speaking of comedy, this is another comedy. And by the way, Roderick Strong is the best worst actor in pro wrestling, or he's the worst best actor in pro wrestling. Either way, I commented last week on uh, why people continue to give Roderick Strong speaking roles, but it was pretty funny the way this all acted out. So there was another episode of um, Undisputed Therapy and uh, the jig was up. Uh, the counselor all along was Kyle O'Reilly. And Roddy conquered his fear about being locked in a trunk. But it still didn't get him over being intimidated by Dexter Loomis, who is awesome as well. And I really hope this rocket they're strapping to his back will make it really good. So this was just fun. You know, these matches... Don't happen all the time. Uh, We assume, you know, that it's all paint by numbers with the WWE. You get your five, 10 minutes in and then it's over. But this was good. This was another example of someone in the back right there, one of the writers, an old school wrestling uh, booker or whatever is back there. Somebody with that sensibility, that mentality is back there writing this stuff. So, you know, it's got to be Jeremy Borash. Uh, the fact that uh, Roderick Strong freaked out and ran out and then Bobby Fish was attacked from behind by Dexter Loomis and then Bobby Fish escaped and ran out it just as beautiful. It's just beautiful writing. It's just you don't see the baby face winning in a technical count out when he's the one that's creepy. It's like they flip to the whole thing on its head. Uh, where the, the the creepy heel creeps out the face and the face runs away and the heel gets the, uh, the victory. They just switch the roles and it's way more entertaining that way. So good on them. Last but not least, the three-way match to face Adam Cole for a winner-take-all match on July 8th will be Finn Balor. And Johnny Gargano and Keith Lee, Keith Lee showing how amazing he is with his upper body strength, with his, he had a planch on both guys. You know, Balor and Gargano are going to be good enough, but then you insert Keith Lee doing big man things in the ring, and it was pretty amazing. A lot of, there wasn't too much high-flying. I think Gargano and Balor kept it between themselves with the high-flying stuff. Uh, There was the spot just like the one at the one NXT with Finn Balor and then keith lee rising up from behind and they're just gonna keep doing that because it doesn't get old and it's just another meme so there you go what can you say about keith lee that that can already be said charisma for days talented they didn't sell much of the uh, eye thing or the hand thing anymore seems like he's well rested up from that uh possibly sets up potential for gargano and and balor to go after each other again which would be a lot of fun kind of the I'm the face of the of NXT. I built NXT, blah, blah, blah. I'll go back and forth with that. That'd be a good setup. And then Keith Lee was confronted by Adam Cole at the end, Bay Bay, who Adam Cole, who earlier in the night, I believe he has said why he was the best and how this is a joke and this is a setup and, and whatnot. So uh, winner take all. I don't know why WWE, they the, part of the problem with the writing is they get stuck. They are stuck doing multi-man matches and multi-team matches and now they're stuck doing uh multiple belts so although i'd like to see keith lee be a a, a multiple belt a two belt champ i also kind of don't want to see him as a multiple belt champ for for the very same reasons it's just i don't know it's just you're, you're running out of ideas to keep things fresh and innovative and i don't know if, if you want to Put all that on Keith Lee. I mean, it's not like we're running the J Cup. It's not like the Ultimate Dragon uh, taking seven belts at once. It's 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 WWE. It's NXT. They can pace the stuff out. So. Well, that's it for today's show. Thanks a lot, everybody, for those of you who joined us here. You can definitely check me out on the Facebook page again at Heel and Face Podcast on Facebook, and check out the whole Heel Turn Wrestling family on Facebook and Twitter at HTWrestling316. That's HTWrestling316. Of course, share the show around. If you love it, let the people know. I think I got a good thing going here. I think this is a lot of fun. And if there are any other topics that you'd like me to cover on the Heal and Face podcast or on the three-count of the Heal and Face, the quicker show that I try to put out midweek, you can get a hold of me at Mr. Castellanovo on Twitter, uh, M-R-C-A-S-A-L-I-N-U-O-V-O, or you can get a hold of me on the Heal and Face Facebook page, again, on Facebook at Heel and Face Podcast at Heel and Face Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Peace.